of the good news and tonight we're going to continue looking at the good news of sickness I'm making sure you're awake sickness is never good news is it do you know anyone that has gone oh hallelujah praise the Lord I'm sick no we're looking at the good news of healing healing was an integral part of Jesus message and his ministry. And whenever a sick person is healed, that's good news. And we're hearing so many of these testimonies of people that are on life support. They've been given up for dead, and God is touching them and restoring their life and their health. That's good news. We shout and holler when we hear one of those stories because healing is good news, not sickness. And we started this last week. I'm not going to review everything, but real quickly, whenever sickness is mentioned in the Bible, it's bad. It's a result of Adam and Eve's sin. There was no sickness before the fall, and there will be no sickness in the eternal kingdom. So we're kind of in between those two things, and we're not fully there yet, but we're already in the dispensation where God is manifesting his healing. And sickness is a curse. It's definitely a part of the curse. And the expression is found in the Old Testament, the evil diseases of Egypt. There's nothing good about diseases and sickness. They're evil. They're a cursed thing. And we saw last week that when Jesus died on the cross, not only did he take all of our sins in his body, but perhaps even more amazingly, Isaiah 53 tells us he bore all of our sicknesses, infirmities, and diseases in his body. So when you see one of these films like The Passion of the Christ that shows the awful sufferings that Jesus went through, just imagine every cancer, tuberculosis, every fever, every inflammation, every leprosy, every, every kind of cancer and disease known to man, all coming at once onto one human body. That's what happened to Jesus on the cross. And then add to that all the adulteries, all the murders, all the homosexuality, all the perversion, all the lies, all the sin of mankind accumulated came upon one man, the man Christ Jesus. And so when he died in his perfection and sinlessness, he was a substitute for all the sinners and for all the sick. So because of the atonement and because of the cross, Peter, quoting from Isaiah 53, he says, by his stripes we were healed. Peter now makes it past tense. We were healed. When? 2,000 years ago. So where we're going to pick up tonight is learning more about the importance of our faith Remember, Isaiah 53 begins with this question. Who has believed our message? Who has believed the report? 
Well, the report is there in Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace came upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. The question now is, who has believed the good news, the gospel message? And healing is certainly an important part of that. We looked last week uh, on page 18 in your outline, if you're following there, scripture after scripture after scripture, Jesus healed all everyone, every manner of sickness, every manner of disease. There weren't two categories of sicknesses for Jesus. The easy ones like a cold or a cough, and then the really tough ones, you know, the incurable diseases. He didn't understand that vocabulary. He healed every kind of disease, every kind of sickness. All who were brought to him, he healed them. And one of my favorite scriptures that we looked at there, he healed everyone who had need of healing. That seems to be the number one criterion. If you need healing, go to Jesus. It doesn't say he healed all those that were spiritual enough. He healed all those that were holy enough. No. He doesn't forgive only the holy ones. He forgives sinners. So the whole atonement package is the gospel of grace. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve to be healed. We deserve to be under a curse. We deserve to have every kind of disease in the book. But because of his grace and because of his mercy, he offers us forgiveness, salvation, and included in that is healing for the physical body. Now, at the top of page 19, this is where we finished last week, we were talking about Abraham. Abraham is the example for us of the kind of faith we need, not just for healing, but for our whole Christian life. Because we're told here that he's the father of all those who walk by faith. And all of Abraham's children are to follow in his footsteps. Let's read this again. It's, it's so rich. Starting in Romans 4, verse 12. <coughs> he is also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Verse 16, therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace. Now just stop and let that sink in. This refers to all of God's promises. Promises come by faith so that they may come through our works. No, so that they may be by grace. You know, when God fulfills a promise in your life, you can't brag about anything. You didn't do anything. God gets all the glory. And that's why he set it up this way. God intends for us to trust in him. And then because of his grace, he fulfills promises that have all been spelled out for us in the word of God. And then when the promise is fulfilled, he gets all the glory. I don't say, oh, well, God healed me because, you know, I fasted 50 days. No, then you're taking the credit. Your fasting must have gotten you the healing. So you take the credit, you get the glory. But if it's a real promise of God being fulfilled, it has nothing to do with your performance or your works. God did it. It's by his grace. So the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be sometimes given to a few people guaranteed to how many? All Abraham's offspring. How many of Abraham's offspring are here tonight? Hallelujah. I'm a child of Abraham. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. I might just stand up and start preaching tonight. I feel an anointing here tonight. I am sick of sickness. 
I'm sick of sickness. I am really burdened. I'm praying for God to manifest his healing power in the body of Christ. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop right there. We are seeing dead people come back to life. We just heard another one. People that are on life support that have been given up for dead, they're being healed and taken off of life support. Why? Because they have life again. Life support is for somebody who's basically almost dead. <laughs> you take them off of the life support when God gives them life again. Now, two aspects to Abraham's faith we need to study very carefully. He had faith in a God who gives life to the dead. I thought we were just supposed to kind of believe in God pastor i mean that's that's a little extreme you're telling me every christian needs to have a faith in a god who gives life to the dead absolutely what's going to happen to you when you die don't you have faith for a resurrection if we don't have faith for a resurrection we have no hope that's what paul says in first corinthians 15 if in this life only our hope is in christ we are of all men most miserable most to be pitied so Obviously, we have to at least have a faith that one day after I die and go six feet under, God will one day resurrect me. But he's talking about more than that. He's talking about a God who can give life to dead things here and now. How do we know that? Because the second aspect of Abraham's faith is it's faith in a God who calls things that are not as though they were. That's even crazier. Something that isn't I'm supposed to believe now that it is. Now, why does he connect all of this with Abraham? Well, the rest of the scripture fills in the blanks. God called Abraham when he was 75 years old and told him, I'm going to make you a father. Then a little later he comes and says, I'm going to make you a father of nations. Not just a kid or two. You're going to have nations that come forth from your loins. Abraham's all excited. They went down to the baby store. They started buying all the cribs they could find. I'm making that up. It's not in the Bible. Ten long years went by. No diapers. No babies. Sarah and Abraham get a little bit desperate, and Sarah comes up with a beautiful plan. Abraham, have a child by my handmaid, and we'll call it mine. And it'll, it'll do the job. We're going to help God a little bit here. If you're, if you're ever tempted to help God fulfill his promise in your life, read the story in Genesis because the baby that came forth was Ishmael, who to this day is the enemy of Israel. Sometimes our best efforts end up becoming our worst enemies. And so after Ishmael's born, even Abraham's kind of excited. He thinks this ought to do the trick. And one day, God appears to Abraham, and Abraham says, Oh, let Ishmael live before you. God says, No, 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 Abraham. I'll bless Ishmael, all right. But I told you many years ago, I'm going to make you a father of nations, and I'm still going to do it my way. This time next year, Sarah is going to have a child. Now, there's a slight problem. Abraham's now 99 years old. And the Bible is crystal clear on this. He and Sarah physically were beyond childbearing age. They could not have a child. And actually, Paul puts it better than I could. He says their bodies were as good as dead. Hear that word? Dead. 
they could not bring forth children. And so Abraham needs to have a faith in a God who can give life to the dead, his dead body and Sarah's dead womb, and call into being that which is not. In their case, a baby. This is an amazing text. Pick it up at verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. There's no way to explain that in the natural. That makes no sense. Literally, the scripture would read, Against all hope, Abraham hoped. When there was no hope, Abraham hoped. How do you hope when there is no hope? You know a God who can A give life to the dead, and be called into being that which does not exist. That's the only way you can have hope in a hopeless situation. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and there's a little word right after that, and so, very important word, and so became the father of many nations. This faith was critical to Abraham becoming what God called him to be. It was critical. And so he became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith. Now, I know none of us ever get weak in our faith, right? We're always, rah, 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 I'm on the top of the mountain. I'm more than a conqueror. No. But without weakening in his face, faith, he faced, I like that, he faced the fact You know, a lot of Christians, they get this twisted. They think faith means you live in denial of reality. That's wrong. Real faith faces the facts. Real faith will read the medical report. It says you have stage four cancer. It's all over your body. Okay, that's the fact. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. We got a dead situation, and we need an Abraham kind of faith that knows a God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Two dead people trying to become parents of nations. It's insane. It's insane. What's the first word in verse 20? Yet. Oh, I like that word. Yet. In other words, forget about everything you just read. In spite of all the facts, in spite of everything we just heard, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith. How do you get stronger in faith when your situation's getting worse? It's supernatural. Has to be supernatural. You know, when we were studying the atonement and we, we looked a lot at justification by faith, Paul actually in three different places in the New Testament quotes the same scripture from the Old Testament, the just shall live by faith. That's, that's kind of the cornerstone of his whole doctrine on justification by faith. The just shall live by faith. Strange thing is, if you look at the original text in the Old Testament, there's a little pronoun, pronoun there which changes the whole meaning of the verse. It says, the just shall live by his faith. Think about that. It's not my faith. It's his faith that I must live by. And the miracle of the good news is, 
I'm a sinner. I'm dead. I'm lost. I'm going to hell. I can't help myself. I can't stop sinning. I can't do anything to pay off my debt. I can't even believe in God. And so what does God do? He sends his son to die on the cross for all my sins, all my sicknesses. He's buried. Three days later, he rises, goes back to the father. Now he gives me faith. That's what the Bible says. He's given to every man and woman a measure of faith. So even the faith to believe in the gospel, God gives it to me. So I can't even take credit for my faith because it's not mine. It's his faith. The just shall live by his faith. So this faith that Abraham has, it's not really his. It's God's faith. God gave him that kind of a faith, and God has given you and me that same seed of faith. We just need to develop it. We need to use it, just like we need to exercise our arms and legs if we don't want them to atrophy and waste away. Verse 20 again. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. This isn't something he made up in his head. It's a promise that he had from God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Fully persuaded that whatever God has promised, he's able to perform it. And, you know, if you've been around this church much this past year, we're hearing testimony after testimony of of things I've never seen in my lifetime. Miracle after miracle after miracle. And it's bringing me more and more to a place where I am fully persuaded God can do anything. God can just do anything. But we need to be fully persuaded of that. Notice verse 22. I put it in all caps and in bold letters. This is why. This kind of faith that developed in Abraham's life, this is why he's the father of us all. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So when we approach the subject of healing, We're going to see over and over and over. There's no question about God's promise. There's no question about what was already accomplished on the cross. There's no question about God's power. He can do anything he wants. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. The only variable in the equation is your faith and my faith. And we're going to look at a series of scriptures here in every single one of them It puts the emphasis not on whether or not God could heal, it's whether or not the people could believe in him. The faith is really the variable. Let's look at this passage in Matthew 8, the story of the centurion, verses 5 to 13. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Pretty difficult situation. Jesus said to him, "Uh, I'm too busy. Uh, I only heal on Fridays. Or you're not even a Jew. Uh, I can't help you. Check back in about 30 years when the new covenant is in force. (laughs) What does it say? I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve. Whenever you hear those words, that's somebody that is understanding something about God's grace and mercy. I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Now, time out. 
If I got somebody home paralyzed and the Son of God, the Messiah, offers to me, I'll come home with you and heal him. Uh, Here, Lord, you take the front seat in the car. I'll get in the back seat. No arguments. There's something amazing about this man. I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. All you got to do is speak, master, and I know it will be done. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished. I think King James says amazed. He was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel. Remember, this is a non-Jew. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great what? Ah, what is Jesus paying attention to? The man's faith. What is he hearing? Even though the word was never mentioned by the centurion, he's hearing faith. As a matter of fact, some other scriptures are even clearer than this. When Jesus was going around from place to place, he was looking for faith. That's what he was looking for. He wasn't looking to see how holy they were, how spiritual they were, how many Bible verses they could quote. He was looking right into the heart to see if they had faith. He was astonished to see the spirit of faith that was in this man's life. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, it will be done just as you believed. Just as you believed, it will be done. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Now, a little further in our study, we're going to see another instance where Jesus also got amazed or astonished. This time, he was with the Jewish people, and the Bible says he was amazed at their lack of faith. Note the contrast. We have a Gentile, a non-Jew, who is saying, Lord, all you got to do is speak a word, and this guy at home will be healed. He's amazed at that man's faith. Then he goes into a Jewish town. He can't heal any of the sick people because they're all full of unbelief. And he's amazed at their lack of faith. I find that amazing that Jesus got amazed. No pun intended. But it's amazing that he got amazed at faith. And he also got amazed at unbelief. One way or another, I think the Lord's going to be amazed at you and me. What's he going to be amazed about? He's going to say, my God, Wayne's been in the ministry for 38 years and he still can't believe me? That's pretty amazing. Or is he going to say, wow, look at the faith these people have. They don't even need for the pastor to come to their house and pray. They're just saying, speak a word over the telephone and I know I'll be healed. According to your faith, it will be done. This is a spiritual law. According to faith, it will be done. Look at the next scripture, Matthew 9, starting at verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Lord, we deserve to be healed. No. Notice in both these cases, this is the correct way to approach the Lord when you're looking for healing. I don't deserve this, Lord, but please have mercy on me. Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you what? Ah, notice how he gets right to the heart of the matter. Do you believe 
that I am able to do this. Remember, Abraham was fully persuaded that whatever God had promised, he was able to perform it. So this is the first hurdle we've got to get over. Do we believe God is able to heal cancer, to heal a kidney that's no longer functioning? Do we believe God can make an aneurysm disappear? Do we believe he's able? That's the first step. Okay. Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, will it be done to you? There it is again. According to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored. You find this all throughout the gospel. It was their faith that healed them. It doesn't say it was his power that healed them. We know it was, but the emphasis is always on their faith. Hmm. Matthew 17, 20. Jesus replied, because he's talking to his own disciples who couldn't cast out a demon. Because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Most everything will be possible. Know what it says? Nothing will be impossible for you. Say it with me out loud. Nothing will be impossible for you. Say it again. Nothing will be impossible for you. Say it again, and you might just want to lift your hands and praise God tonight. Nothing will be impossible for you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Nothing. 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 God help us to believe. Mark 2. Starting at verse 1, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. I love it. I just love it. I've often tried to imagine standing here preaching on Sunday, and all of a sudden somebody's coming through the ceiling tiles, saying, we couldn't get through the kitchen, we couldn't get through the back door, we couldn't get through the front. We got to get into this meeting, so we're coming through the roof. Serious. And most of us, you know, we'd be in the middle of our well-polished sermon. We're following our outlines and our PowerPoint. We're like, what's this dude doing, man? He's going to mess up my meeting. And this is on camera, too. Get him out. Get him out of here. He's messing up the service. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. Next phrase tells you what Jesus was looking for wherever he went, whenever he was preaching. He didn't care whether there was chaos in the roof or not. He saw what he had been looking for. When Jesus saw the commotion, when Jesus saw the dust coming down on his pulpit, no, when Jesus saw their faith. That's what Jesus saw. He saw faith. Man, these people are crazy. They're serious. They want to get to me because they must believe in me. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, wait, wait. I thought he came to get healed of his paralysis. Son, your sins are forgiven. Well, first things first. 
What's the use of somebody getting healed if they're going to keep being a sinner? Oh, I wish I could tell you how many sick people I've seen healed over the years, but they didn't go on with the Lord. What's the point? I mean, God is merciful. He'll heal sick people just because he loves them. But this is more important. Get the most important piece of business done first. Son, your sins are forgiven. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Jesus saw their faith. Their faith is why the man was healed. Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 20. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, note, I love those words. If you can do anything, we sound like that sometimes, right? When we got a problem, oh Lord, if you can do anything about my challenge, I don't know if you can, it might be beyond your ability, but if you can do anything, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus picked up on that same phrase. If you can, it's a question. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who goes to church, attends Bible study. All those are good things to do. But everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. That's a nice, honest prayer. I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. There was a mixture, a little bit of both going on. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The rest of the story is history. He's healed. If you can isn't the right question. If I can believe is really the only question. If I can believe, then everything is possible. Everything. Mark 10, verse 46 and onwards. They came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, and here it is again, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. You're messing up the service, man. Shut up. Wait till they have a healing altar call. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The more they rebuked him, the more he shouted. He shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Nothing will get Jesus' attention like faith. Just let that sink in. Nothing will get his attention like faith. We saw that in the last story when they were coming through the roof. Now look, Jesus stopped. He's moving along. He's got things to do. He's got an agenda. He stopped and said, and this isn't in the scriptures, but here's what I can read into it. I hear faith somewhere in this crowd. I hear faith talking. Where's that coming from? Call him. 
So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. He's still blind. Somehow he finds Jesus, though. This is crazy, verse 51. What do you want me to do for you? Uh, Lord, I need a new job. I mean, why is Jesus even asking this question? What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. You know, there's nothing wrong with telling Jesus what you need. Be very specific. Tell him he wants to hear. I want to see. Go. Your faith has healed you. Not my mighty power, not the power of the Holy Spirit, not the promise of God, not the word of God. All those things were true, but Jesus is trying to teach us in all of these scriptures, go, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the way. Hmm. Luke chapter 8, verse 43. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding... For 12 years. This is a chronic problem. Chronic problem. But no one could heal her. This one, uh, the doctors couldn't even take care of. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. She hasn't even talked to Jesus yet. Jesus doesn't even know who she is. She just touched the hem of his garment. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing around you. So many people have touched you. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. Someone touched me. Special emphasis on that word touched. They didn't just brush against my garment. Somebody connected with me. How do you connect with Jesus? How do you touch Jesus? By faith. Someone connected with me by faith. How do I know that? Because power went out from me. It's not a perfect analogy, but there's power in these outlets on the wall. Right there, there's power. But it doesn't do anything until you plug something into it and you complete the circuit. Then electricity can flow from the wall into your computer or your camera or whatever device you're running. Until a connection is made, no power goes out. Some kind of a circuit was completed when she touched Jesus. As soon as she touched him by faith, the power of God flowed through him into her body. And he felt that power go out. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, you getting used to this now? Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me to believe. Help us to have that kind of faith. Luke 17, starting at verse 12. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice. Jesus, Master, heal us because we deserve it? Same thing. Have pity on us. One common denominator you see in all these stories, the people humbled themselves. They realized they were unworthy. Still, they came to Jesus, looking for mercy, looking for pity, looking for grace. 
When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. Strange. What are the priests going to do for me? They can't heal leprosy. As they went, they were cleansed. All they had to do was obey a simple little command, and they got healed. One of them, only one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. I don't know if it's always one out of ten, but it's probably something like that. (laughs) For every ten that get healed or touched by the Lord, one comes back and says, Lord, I want to praise you. I want to serve. I want to follow you. I want to give my life to you now. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a whisper. No, he prayed for healing in a loud voice, and he's going to praise God.